Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? Comics and Pop Culture Podcast, coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Today, Graham McMillan and I find ourselves on the verge of an American holiday weekend, um, and find ourselves also talking about work challenges in the year 2020, the first issue of Batman, Three Jokers, the comic Blade Runner 2019, the films Bill and Ted Face the Music, Aliens, and Bram Stoker's Dracula, Death Metal Trinity Crisis, The Last of the Atlases, Empire, new comics from Abbe, free comics from Marvel, and much, much more in this two-hour episode. As always, we welcome your comments at waitwhatpodcast.com, your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester. Graham McMillan, hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you very much for asking, Graham. Wow. Did I sound crazy, or are you doing a skit that I don't understand? Probably both. I mean, okay. probably both. You you sounded a little, and I was like, oh, I sort of, like, kind of talking, kind of truncated like this. Sort of makes me feel like David Byrne on one of his Talking Heads albums. So, <laughs> uh, I think I good aim for everyone yeah why not right absolutely uh how are you how are you graham mcmillan i feel like you know it's been it's been forever since we've had a wait what podcast type time forever since we've had a wait what right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah agreed agreed um how, how am i i am fine jeff i i am i am fine i've had a good week i've had a really unusual week as you knew and mm-hmm. i don't think the way what people know mm-hmm. uh, i had most of this week off gasp and uh that's very unusual that's first of all. super atypical for you for for over the better part of what a decade the entire Two? time you've known me. exactly <laughs> 20 15 20 years yeah yeah absolutely um, yeah and um, but i did i had three days off this week wow uh, i worked on on monday and i worked on friday and i had the, the middle three days off yeah. and i honestly like jeff you know me i i i like to work mm-hmm. and i honestly went into it nervous and it said loves it <laughs> uh, i thought you would i thought you i well i i should say i hope that you would um and i sort of kind of expected that you might but it's true there's there's no guarantees with those sorts of things you know um, um, yeah i did i i i i really i apparently really needed that break mm-hmm. I, I and i purposefully took it as a break if that makes sense absolutely like i really was like i'm not responding to emails i'm not like i'm i'm not doing any of this i'm sorry everyone that i owe emails to because i owe emails to everyone mm-hmm. but you know, i'm I'm just I, I i should take this time and i did and it was great and i very 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 much enjoyed it aside from friday oh my Oh, that's re-entry the, was work. painful. Yeah, yeah re-entry mm-hmm. was a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, Monday's a holiday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Friday was in like a week long period, like my only day of work, mm-hmm. and I had a lot to do because of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so yesterday was a lot, Jeff. Mm, that's a shame. Uh, but no, I, like I'm, I'm good. I, I'm, I'm in, I'm in fighting forum. I, I'm, I'm. I'm feeling good about life. Jeff, what about you? Uh, that's a good question, Graham. It's a good question indeed. I, I would say mostly uh, I, I, I feel like um, kind of like 
weird high highs and low lows. Like this week overall, I would say has been good. We uh, work started off a little on the traumatizing side, and then it got slower as it as it went on. Um, I'm in the process of trying to train a new member of my department, so I am technically kind of I'm working longer days to do the training, and there's just a whole bunch of other and stuff. It, it's been a lot. Like you and I yeah. talked off the podcast about this, That's but I right. know that that has been a struggle for you. Yeah. No. Like I should, isn't that like because of the person? Oh yeah, no, 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 yeah, but yeah. Because like training someone in these COVID times, yeah, yeah, is yeah, yeah, a yeah. very weird thing. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's interesting because I, I was thinking on the one hand it would be in a way easier because my firm sort of set things up kind of. So that you, we can use Zoom. There's a whole complicated way that we have to, it's like, you know, trying to connect properly is a little bit like doing the hokey pokey, but it, but it works. And when it's on, it's stable. And one of the great things about Zoom is it makes it really easy to share uh, your screen while you're on uh, the phone with someone. Um, so you can talk them through stuff while showing them in real time. And uh, I was like, okay, this is going to be great. Like that is actually going to be a big plus for whatever reason. I work on the windows operating system. Windows has a something similar where you can basically invite someone to share their screen with you or vice versa. You invite someone to share, et cetera, et cetera. For whatever reason, windows and I are at like complete loggerheads in terms of what that program should be called. Like I've, I've been managing my department for four years, three years, four years. I think it's four years. And I literally still cannot find that fucking program in windows. So when zoom came along, I'm like, Oh, this is great. And even better, like the windows one, there's no audio connection, but zoom blah, blah, blah. All of which is to say what's weird is, is as far as I can tell, and maybe this is one of those situations where it's the person, it makes it 3,000 times uh, harder for the information to stick. It's like it's like Teflon brain or something. Like, I'm just like, okay, so here's how you do this and this and this. And you click here and then you drop down here and then you got to remember to do this. And then the dot, 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 dot. And, I'm, and again, I'm like, I'm showing them in real time. And maybe either I'm going too fast or something, but I'm like, okay, so, you know, kind of like, now it's your turn. You do it. And they're like, uh, okay, so, um, uh, okay. Ah, I gotta, you know, and, and the other thing that I think is kind of hard is I think I'm a relatively decent trainer in some ways. I know there's things that I have, um, uh, things that trip me up, but generally I'm like, I, I know, have a pretty wide depth of knowledge. I'm willing to, if someone has a question, I'm pretty patient at explaining things through. I can sure. even give sort of greater context and things. And I'm like, okay, that's great. But I also think because I have been doing this job for no joke, really rounding up a bit, 25 years, I, I, it's kind of getting to the point where I'm like, wait, is this, is this hard? Like, you know, like, I'm kind of like, 
No, this is <laughs> yeah, this no, part's this easy. Is, this is easy to me. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And and kind of sitting there being like, okay, so spent a lot of time this week in the last two weeks thinking back to when I started and being like, okay, what was hard for me? And it could be that 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 part of the problem when I first started in the department, and part of it could be that. I'm leaning too heavily on solving the things that are hard, that were hard for me that may not be hard for the other person, which is a little bit of the contextual of like, then you do this and here's why you do this. And here's what can happen if it goes wrong. And if it does, here's what you can do to dot, 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 you know? Um, And their problems may be somewhere else entirely different, but I can't tell because all I know is, is that, it's like I'm like okay, I it's it's like you spend all this time like m- making an amazing meal, right? And like putting it all on like fancy plates and a good tablecloth and the presentation stellar and it just makes it easy for them to to just sit down and start eating and it's kind of like the first thing they do is they get up and walk on the table and walk through the food and you're like okay how did that how could this have gone so wrong you know so i may edit all of this out because it really if no no i know i i'm 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 appreciating all this what's funny is you know you're you kind of at one point we're sort of pivoting towards suggesting like you know zoom zoom is the mind killer for one of a better way of putting it Mm mm-hmm um, I had a Zoom call yesterday with, right. with with a publisher that I can't say who it was, cause, but it was a work thing, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm talking to the publisher, and I had a really good call. I'm I'm going to say that up front. Uh, like I had a really good conversation with this person, this person I've talked to before. Um, but what was really interesting was I would say normally in my interactions with this person, it is predominantly professional. Right. Right. And, you know, we we know each other. Socially, but it's per- like when we're talking about work, we're talking about work, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And this Zoom call yesterday was in like felt like eighty percent of the call mm-hmm. was basically us being like, "Okay, but are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay?" Because <laughs> we haven't really spoken since COVID started, right? right? Right. And in fact, the last time we had any in-depth conversation was literally just before COVID started. They mm-hmm. were in town for Comics Pro, which was like a week before. Mm. everything shut down mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right and we did a whole like you know okay so i haven't really talked to you in the last few months and the last few months have been insane how are you right for both of us. um and then the professional part almost seemed like an afterthought but mm-hmm. the weird thing is neither of us seemed to want to do it mm-hmm. it was the reason for the call mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right and mm-hmm. it was information that, that both they wanted to share and i wanted to know right but there is this weird thing now where it's—I don't know if it's the concentration is harder, mm-hmm. but it feels like the things that used to be like you don't necessarily think twice about in terms of work scenarios mm-hmm. do feel different now, right? And and like on the Zoom call in particular, mm-hmm. felt very different. Yeah, I can I can actually see that. Uh did you accidentally mute yourself or 
I, I, I didn't accidentally mute myself. I burped. And oh, so I okay. Him. Got it. I, I, I had that horrible fear of like, oh, wait, I'm talking over him because he accidentally muted himself. No, I, I, you didn't want to hear that. Okay. I that, that, that's just what I'm going to say. I, I, I'm willing to, that's, that's what OnlyFans is for. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't know. I, uh, I, I think you're right. I think, I think the whole COVID thing, I, and that's what I'm, I really do try and keep in mind is, is that everybody's attention is kind of wrecked. And I think weirdly I've sort of doubled down on my workaholism, uh, in the sense of, yeah. Cause I just, I mean, I, log on i work then i'm kind of like i want to get the hell out of here there's times where i mean don't get me wrong there there are definitely times where my definition of work is sitting there trying to work up the muster to tackle the next task or in in between tasks instead of organizing things i'm like oh i'm going to play another level of bro force on the switch because i can get through it in two and a half minutes uh and Excuse me, I did not mute my burp, and that was appalling. Uh, but I get to edit I, it I out. Tell you, so, someone who, who's listening, I, it wasn't that bad. Yay! All right. So, um, but, but it's, it's yeah. funny you said that about workaholism. One of the one of the things I did with my with my days off mm-hmm. was there's a show on HBO Max. Uh, God, I can't remember the guy's name for the life of me. It's someone's guide to happiness. I think it's Ravi's guide to happiness, mm-hmm. and it's a comedian, and he goes to three di- four different countries. And it's it, about specific subjects. Mm-hmm. So he goes to, I think it's Mexico, to talk about his parents retiring and mm-hmm. how basically retirees work. Like mm-hmm. how, how retirement could work, how it should does work in the US. Uh, he goes to Japan to talk about raising kids. But he then goes to... Uh, see, I'm reading the story by not remembering what country he goes to. I think it might be Korea. To talk about um, workaholism. Mm. Hmm. And what was really funny about it is I kind of went into it being like, I'm a workaholic. And I came out of it being like, I'm not a workaholic anymore. <laughs> like, I used to be a workaholic. Yes. I recognized so many things I did mm-hmm. that I didn't do anymore. But it had this weird thing that I came out of it being like, oh, I'm not a workaholic anymore. Let's go. Well, you know, and I think, which is great. And I think, as you know, for a long time, I was not a workaholic. I Yeah, but things yes. are boring for you now. It's, what things are what? blurring for you now yes like you're working from home and right. that really like i think a lot of people both for covid and, and before covid i know that when i started working from home mm-hmm. it's really easy to blur those lines mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right because mm-hmm. before that you have a space where you work and you are in work modes and you have space when you were home and not in work mode right and then when you start working from home you don't have that differentiation anymore. yes yeah, yeah and i think yeah. it easy to be like you know it's only five extra minutes mm-hmm. or it's only 10 extra minutes or or just the opposite in the middle of the work day to be like i'm just going to get up and get a snack mm-hmm. and and you blur the lines which ends up meaning that you do stay in work mode longer well you know so well i think there's there's two things one is moving uh taking the promotion and and being the manager of the department means that that there's a whole bunch of issues that I knew uh, would would essentially escalate, and and a lot of those having to do with feelings of responsibility and and what is and isn't my fault and blah 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 blah. But I definitely think that 
you're right. There's working from home and as someone who's married to someone who works from home, I'm very aware of the kind of um, discipline that you need uh, really to make it be kind of a successful endeavor. And that, that includes equal points sitting down to work, you know, and it also means getting up and going away from the desk. What, I think is I have a sort of tendency to kind of the 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 all or nothingness, I think. Um, COVID really heightened the idea of I have a role and I have something to do and I have a I have a reason to not deal with what is terrible. You know, like there's a there's a lot of new stuff that I stopped. I, I sort of have been trailing off over the news for for several years. I want to say even before 2016. But, you know, I'm at the point now where if I didn't if I didn't have a Twitter account, I literally wouldn't know anything that's happening in the world. The weird thing about Twitter, as you know, is sometimes that means that I feel like I know about things three days before anybody else that I'm talking to does, (laughs) you know, but, but at the same time, there's also that weird feeling of, of, uh, sometimes I'm so busy. I can't even look at, uh, the computer. I mean, look at, look at social media and, and I walk out being kind of like, Oh yeah, I did things. And, and the, and, and life feels kind of normal. You know, like because the the little um, telepathic link to the world of of shit has been, you know, severed and that becomes really attractive. And yet at the same time, because of a variety of things, I think uh, maybe an introversion, my natural inclination towards introversion and the inherent need for my position to be semi extroverted, it just, it's a, it's a drain. There's a, there's a huge time where it's by the time Friday rolls around, I never, I never was really that person ever who was like, Oh, Friday night, let's go out and get trashed, you know? Uh, sure, sure. But I'm way closer to like, Oh, it's, it's Friday night past the edibles i really wish to um shut down this portion of my frontal lobe now you know and uh again i can't really tell like some of those things were in play before covid a lot of them were but covid has been just such an extreme force multiplier um but there's also there's also stuff where and who knows because you can't really unpack all this and we maybe may not linger on this very long because I feel like uh, definitely one of the things that's been really wonderful about hearing from a lot of whatnots and listeners to the podcast is kind of how grateful they are that this is a little bit of a refuge in the same way from the whatever's going on in the real world. But there are times where I was looking at, I woke up, I looked at the, like looked at the news first thing as soon as I woke up and there were like four or five items. And I think only one of them was COVID related where I was like, Oh God. Oh, 
oh shit like just kind of uh oh this isn't this is it's you know it's game over man like this is this is it like so really incredibly depressing like very like reading stuff about stuff in the world and being kind of like uh is it too late to change this stuff i worry it might be i mean it's going beyond fears to kind of seeing things that are like i'm like yeah that's kind of oh god you know and that's um that also is like if we even if we weren't in a pandemic and we still had three or four other situations that are playing the world right now part of me would maybe be kind of um panicked and wanting to disappear under the heavy blanket of work you know just for its kind well, of feeling it, it, of accomplishment you, and, and yes numbing. and also you can relatively control work yes right? exactly and right you can't control right are in a scale that that seems uh you can at least understand it well yeah Exactly. That's you know, a good point. like if you don't hand in a report or you don't, you know, complete X task on time. Right. It can be bad. It can be catastrophic even. Right. But it's bad on a level that you can comprehend. Right. You know, and so I, I think I think there is an element of that. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, there's an there's an element of, oh shit, worker Y is a huge pain in the ass. I. But there's that thing of like, I can maneuver around him, you know, or I can yeah, do yeah. whatever, you know, you figure out a well, workaround you know or maybe you can move the handle. To work, yeah, right? right. You know, but it's literally just not that idea of like, um, oh, I don't know, you know, where it's like, oh, reading about this thing in the world, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, um, compost a little more devotedly you know like it's just kind of like i don't i literally yeah, it, don't know what that means no you know? i know it, it, it but it is one of those things where sometimes you read stories and you're just like oh so i'm just going to put that in a little box in my head right because if i don't i'm going to have trouble doing anything else today now which i think is interesting because as you pointed out for a long time you did one of your one of your main gigs was writing up what happened that oh, week on the internet, yes. right? And I've got to tell you, mm -hmm. I am so glad I don't do that anymore. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've been saying, like, like privately, I've even said it to you, I think, that like, I feel generally more optimistic right now, which is hilarious considering, you know, gestures wildly to the world. Yes. Um. And and you know there there's there's lots of moving pieces to that, right? You know there are some things that are like demonstrably better about mm -hmm. my life, mm -hmm. but I think part of it is also I don't spend a significant period of my week each week basically tracing down what people online are saying about a terrible thing, right? Right. You know, and yeah. I don't think I realized before that quite how much that impacted how I felt. Mm -hmm. You know, like I felt very, um, you know, like I know what's going on. Do you know what I mean? Like it, because, of, like that was literally part of my job, right? And I, I monitor social media vigilantly, mm -hmm. even when I was not posting, even when I wasn't feeling like I could contribute anything. Mm -hmm. I would be paying attention to what other people were saying, and I would have a 
at least vague understanding of basically all of the the conversations, the big conversations that were happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I I I felt very accomplished because of that. And I was like, you know, this is a good thing. I like this is this is something that is worthwhile mm-hmm. because I understand what's happening in the world. Right, mm-hmm. and when when that went away, when when the wired gig went away, and that went away, I did have this feeling of just like, oh no, you know, this like I'm I'm going to, not only like am I losing a significant amount of money every month, but you know I'm not going to be on top of things as much, right? And this is a bad thing, and you know, three months later, no, it's a great thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a great thing. <laughs> Because I didn't realize quite how upset I was becoming. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah, no, I do get it. I, I do. And I think that is the people... I, I mean, you have... That's kind of an extreme version, I think, in the sense of it's it's more than what the rest of us deal with or at a level the more than most what rest of us deal with it. There is also that weird um, thing of people who uh, people who participate in social media. Uh, I generally don't, as far as I can tell. I wax and wane about the 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 dopamine surge of people paying attention to me, mainly because I'm I'm only on one social platform, Twitter, and for the most part. It's it's rare that people pay attention to me, and frankly, half the time I'm so busy, I'll go weeks without tweeting, and 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 so that's kind of fine. It's not really there. the 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 stronger draw for me on Twitter is the is all of those things that you talk about of feeling plugged in, of of knowing. Um, you know, one of the things that that kills me is that um, you know, we talk about this stuff where it's like being three days ahead but you know following people of color on twitter for years or really seeing um just the rise of visibility in transgender people on twitter Mm -hmm. like it it feels it feels incredibly necessary because everywhere else that i look in the world it just feels kind of dramatically underrepresented or else you know in the process of people bitching about any visibility and wishing that it could be stifled more and so it just is what it is and yet it's this weird like uh at the same time there's because it's kind of like a slot machine there's no guarantee that you're not going to get you know three cherries of horribleness whether that's finding out some awful piece of news or seeing someone just being absolutely hideous or just finding out just seeing something that you literally wish that you had never seen yeah yeah exactly you're like the, the the possibility of discovering like anything from like truly horrendous news mm-hmm. or truly horrendous fact that will will you know legitimately ruin your day right if not longer mm-hmm. to just finding something that is small and irritating enough yeah right exactly to, right. to like to, to piss you off just for that moment yeah like that's that's like that's kind of what social media is there for mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And well, but I, I mean, I guess you're right. But at the same time, I think that's the thing that is. And maybe I'm misunderstanding the nature of things, but part of me in the back of my brain is kind of just a, just really frustrated. Like if if only the news people were doing things right, I wouldn't have to do it this way. If only media was doing representation right, I wouldn't have to be putting myself like through this, you know. And but I don't, I, you know. I think that's probably just you know, early 21st century finger pointing, which I'm, I'm definitely more guilty of than, than I think most. Uh, but I definitely, yeah, i I find myself kind of being in this weird, um, yes, you know, this weird, I, I, I just, I joke, you know, jump to that joke uh, in, in in Annie Hall, which is sh- which is a shame because of course I'm like Ugh, Woody Allen, but the whole know, you know, exactly. but we needed the eggs, you know. It's kind of like yeah, it's just such a it's such a a, a frustrating power dynamic or relationship I, it, to be in that but, I kind of but can't. It's a, yeah, it's a weird thing. Like you know, I get that if the media was doing its job, right? Part, but also. That's not really true, right? Because one of the things that is a positive about social media is that social media provides a diversity of voices and of opinions and of points of view that, you know, a media conglomeration never could. You know? I, I, and they don't, that's not to excuse right. shitty representation in the media at all. Uh-huh. But what I'm saying is, like, I feel that there are voices that I'm getting through social media that I consider essential voices for me. Yes, absolutely. Right. That the media would never have any interest in hiring. And that's not a condemnation of the media as much as it's a recognition of like the media just would have no interest in hiring. Mm. Does that make sense? It, yeah. Like I love Charlene Eaton mm -hmm. like a lot. And I consider her a genuine essential Twitter follow. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But I love Charlene as much for her, uh, you know, Mary Worth tweets or her, like, complaining about other people's dating decision tweets mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as I do for for more political stuff that she posts or more critical stuff about culture. Mm-hmm. Right? And if the media had hired her, I wouldn't get half of that, you know? Or, to put it another way, I love Amber Ruffin, the comedian. Mm-hmm. And she's part of the media. Mm-hmm. But again, I love her Twitter because I see things that she would not otherwise do in her job. Mm-hmm. Right? So I see what you're saying and I don't disagree. It's just I'm not sure that it's also a complete argument. Mm-hmm. I think even if the media was going for offering more voices, which again, it should, it has to, it still wouldn't offer the variety of topics and the variety of voices that social media does. Mm-hmm. One of the, the joys of social media is when you find someone who you're interested in almost everything they have to say. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah. No, 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 no. I agree. But, but I feel like uh, when I was growing up and admittedly part of that is growing up in a world without the internet. And so um, my my conception of the horizon was was infinitely more limited 
as a result, things seemed more expansive. But I mean, like you had, uh, like I grew up reading newspaper columnists that I would read sure. every day. And you kind of got that with them. They really did. Sometimes they do a serious turn. Sometimes it was what they ate, a, ate again, for lunch. There's, there's a gatekeeping element there that is that is still more than than social media and also some things are really only worth like a couple of tweets well and no like, absolutely absolutely i have right? to, I, yeah, and yet yeah i can still find them as valuable yes uh, yeah. in, in fact more so because exactly. of their yeah i agree i agree which is part of the reason why i think i still stick to twitter twitter stick to twitter rather than 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 well, I mean, I, I there's a whole Facebook thing, but yes, yeah, Twitter, Twitter works for me in that regard, and in part because of that regard. You know, it's so funny, Graham. I have to say, just out of the desperate need to pivot away from my it's, all it's so funny the fact that we've talked 31 minutes and we haven't talked about comics, even though this is theoretically a comics podcast. Well, I mean, there's that. There's also <laughs> the thing. Wait, what? The 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 thing the thing that also gets me is is that that I was like. I had this huge sense of relief because uh, someone on Twitter, and I, I think it might have been Arthur Wyatt, joked about how we were always one horrible news story behind, right? And I feel like we caught up. Like, comics didn't shit the bed in the last week, right? I mean, or maybe it did and I missed it, uh, or I, maybe I, it's I, been two like, weeks and it, I forgot it, something. I missed it too. See? Which, and so, right. Not, yeah. Like, amazing right yeah, so I mean, it, it's not a horrible news story but like this was the week where the the new dc um general manager was announced mm. you know daniel cherry mm-hmm. i did miss I that is that the daniel esports cherry, guy or whatever yeah yeah mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm so my favorite thing about the daniel cherry uh, thing is people who clearly didn't have an idea how to like react to it mm-hmm. um because I saw headlines that said both DC now has someone with the initials DC at the head. <laughs> and also DC has black man in charge. Oh, and it's like, wow. I mean, both of those are true. Right. But like, that's not, that's not our, that's like, that's the sort of not, scintillating like, business analysis that well, you could exactly, expect. Like, that's not yeah. the story. Yeah, 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 yeah. No kidding. Both of those are facts. Yeah. Um, I did see people talk about the fact that, um, like, basically, for want of a better way of putting it, like, white men are gone from, from DC's uh, controlling structure, which is great. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, really yeah. like I think it's really exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that lots of people will disagree with me, but you know what? Fuck you. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but I also saw a lot of people, and uh, to make this very clear, like this is entirely the right slash wrong people mm-hmm. getting very upset about the fact that Dino Cherry, judging from his Twitter account, is one hundred percent the social justice warrior that a lot of the right wing have feared. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, and I like that's also very exciting to me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's um, great. And I, I would love to see him actually lean into the potential of, of I was going to say DC superheroes, but really, I mean, superheroes. Like, mm-hmm. honestly, superheroes are, literally should be social justice warriors. Yes. <laughs> like, 100% that is their role. <laughs> and, and I'd like to see people, I'd like to see people in charge of these characters lean into that. Yeah. Yeah. And so. We'll see. Something that was announced yesterday 
um, and it's one of those things that's like a really small announcement, so probably didn't get much play, mm-hmm. is in the net to DC fandom, which is next week, September 12th. Mm, right. They are re essentially re-recording episodes of the Superman radio show from the 40s of Adventures of Superman. Hmm. Um, but their choice of who's playing Superman is great. Uh, you've got Tim Daly, who did it in the 90s cartoon. Right. You've got Wilson Cruz, who's the doctor from Star Trek Discovery. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you've got Daniel D. Kim of of Lost and Hawaii Five O. Mm. And I love that a only one of them is is a white man. Mm-hmm. I love that you have a gay man in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I I feel like it's one of those things where it's it's basically going. And again, it's a radio show. You know, you're not going to see Superman, but. I think it's an important thing to be like, Superman can be fucking anyone. Uh, there's, there's nothing inherently white about Superman. Right. Well, wait, is... So, is Daniel Day Kim playing Superman? Yes. Oh. The, all three All three of them are voicing Superman. Oh, I'm sorry. I saw... I just... I was like, so... Sorry, I did not understand. All three of them are voicing Superman for, for different episodes. Yes. That's yeah. fabulous. Oh, that's great. Right. Yeah. yeah, and I really like that. I, I like the, the level of inclusivity there. Absolutely. And I think that yeah. that's the sort of thing that, like, I, again, I want to see from superheroes. Yeah. And if, if Daniel Cherry is going to be like, why don't we actually, like, have Superman properly stand up mm-hmm. <laughs> for this shit? I am 100% there for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think this is something that, that we sort of semi-touched on when we were talking about uh, Rucka's Lois Lane, which is, uh, and I don't remember how much we followed through on it in the discussion, but one of the things that's kind of a bummer about the about superhero continuity, which seems to be you know such a necessary ingredient, it's what really kind of caused everything to pop back in the, the birth of the, you know, the Marvel age of the sixties is a little bit of, it also takes out that problem of, you know, you you can't go and punch Hitler, you know, like, I mean, you sort of maybe can, but you can't, but you can't really, you can't throw Hitler off a building. And then what happens next week, you know, that idea of like, you know, 12 months, 14 months, down the road, it's impossible to imagine that that your world is is the quote unquote world outside the window, and it starts seeming like a crazy alternate universe thing. Um, because I'm uh, ignorant, are they updating the Superman radio scripts, or they're just no, I, writing I think them? They're in? literally just re-recording. Just re-recording them. Wow, interesting. Okay, well, that's fascinating I mean, to me. We'll see if they're updating them. Sure, sure. I, I, I mean. For want of a, a less cynical take, mm-hmm. I strongly suspect it's just uh, we have a lot of time to fill in the second fandom. Yeah, well, so, yeah, it's, you know, yeah, it's funny because I had actually sort of assumed that the second fandom was going to be a little heavier on the comics news. It uh, is okay. uh, maybe not the comics news; it's a lot heavier on the comics content. I see. Huh. Um, there are there's panels for deceased. There's panels for um, Rorschach. There's panels for. Uh, death metal mm-hmm. there's you know there is a lot more comics content on it right right you know it's so funny because i'm like oh I, i'm thinking of all this comics content one of the things that's really funny is right i was like hey it's going to be great we're going to talk about the 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 comics it's going to be super upbeat because we don't have like a horrific nightmare news talk going on and of course 
on the list of things that totally fell off my radar. I'm like, all right, I really want to talk about three Jokers number one. Like, they better be smart and talk about old three Jokers because, wow, three Jokers has three Jokers in it, Graham. Um, Yes, three Jokers has three Jokers. Who are the three Jokers? Is one of them the reader? Oh, ooh, ooh. I hope there's that level of canny deconstruction by which I'm saying, I will bet you $20 there is not. But yes. <laughs> of course not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is awesome, though. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I gotta say, it, I, it was, I really had wished that we could have talked about Three Jokers immediately because. You've forgotten it, haven't you? No, no, are you kidding? Okay. Not at all. I could probably, dude, I gotta tell you, I read that book something like three times. Three, three times three, three times yes three times one for each of the jokers yeah and i i yeah no and uh it was uh it was quite a little experience i gotta tell you that whole reading that book i mean because because it was it was kind of like ah finally the the tire the the tire fire of jeff johns that i like is back not the tire fire that was just all smoke and toxic chemicals this has actually got the chance to like have other houses catch on fire i don't know i mean i it was bad but really entertaining and unfortunately it was a level of john's thinking about batman and or even parsing alan moore's influence uh, in a way that was way more satisfying for me than any particular issue of Doomsday Clock. Now, admittedly, I'm reading Doomsday Clock only as it shows up in DC Universe. Um, so I think I'm still one or two episodes away from the finale. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I read issue 11 and have forgotten already. But like, you know, basically Jeff Johns being like, okay, I can, I can out killing joke. The killing joke is I'm like, yeah, that's, that's the kind of set your sights a little lower. And I think you're going to be able to hit your target that I'm really excited by. Um, Wait, so you think, you think he's trying to out killing joke, the killing joke? Um, well, how's, how's the, it depends. Yes. I mean, first off, <laughs> First, I mean, out killing joke, the killing joke is probably the wrong way to phrase it in a way. But I mean, he's definitely to the extent that that Doomsday Clock was playing with Moore's um, storytelling ticks and influences and trying sort of trying them on for size and being like, oh, this isn't so hard. Uh, and then crashing into a wall with it. I feel like there's a it's it's literally impossible to see the um three jokers without the killing joke oh, overlaid no. there of he, course he leans hard into yeah. the killing joke super like hard. in in a way that i like did i say this to you last week when we were we were not recording but talking about it like i said that um he doesn't have to <laughs> like right it's, I don't think the story necessarily needs as heavy a killing joke thing as it has, mm-hmm. but he leans hard into that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He really does in a way that it's, it almost seems like a cliche that like, he's just like, I, this is what I do now. I just do Alan Moore riffs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I, uh, how do I put it? I think that it makes more sense here in a lot of ways, not not least of which is 
The Killing Joke is an Alan Moore riff, but it is also a Batman story. And therefore, you could say, whereas Watchmen is a very specific um, Alan Moore take on superheroes, Killing Joke is by its necessity a take on Batman. And what you can do with that is uh is i think easier in a way to sort of you know yeah like like you you can theoretically do a killing joke riff that can still work as a batman story Mm -hmm. in a way that you can't do a watchman riff that isn't a alamore story right exactly and so for me it's easier in a way to look at the killing joke and uh, and and three jokers and because we'll see where things are are going to go over the next two issues it could go deviate significantly from what i think or where i'm expecting but there is an amount of it's it's easier sort of in the way that um when frank miller's uh dark knight uh returns um come came out and suddenly artists were like jesus i want to do this and it wasn't just like oh like this thing sold like hotcakes like you know it took a long time for a lot of people to shake that that miller influence of like Mm -hmm. this is Mm -hmm. like you know that kind of feeling of like i want this and and one of the things that i thought was interesting about uh three jokers was the idea that Johns, who has tried to do, uh, at, at least from what I remember of the first volume of Batman Earth One, a more quote-unquote mature take on Batman, um, Three Jokers number one felt like someone who's like, yeah, I really, I want a a a mature take on batman which which is to say one of the things that was uh interesting to me about three jokers of course is it works really well like jason todd is an interesting character in it and i'm someone who really likes jason todd and you, yeah i was yeah. gonna say you you are you are a jason todd fan i am much. i am in, in I, a, uh, yeah despite not like being a Jason Todd fan for on a better yeah, exactly. you like the idea of Jason Todd right. more than the Jason Todd has been portrayed. Yeah, because whenever Jason Todd pops up in it, it's kind of the you know he's it's it's just it's like he's the he's like the Poochie of the Batman universe. Like there's just no, it's the whole idea of like oh he's a badass, but because he's kind of in an all ages Batman comic, that means that you know he like. I don't know, talks about women like they're sexy and he like takes guns out and he threatens to shoot people or, oh no, he blew off a finger. I mean, I literally have not read, for all I know, <laughs> Red Hood and the Outlaws was 50 issues of Scott Lobdell basically doing like fucking Lone Wolf and Cub with Jason Todd and it was all beheadings and, you know, sex under bridges you know i don't i'm not even really sure where i'm going with that but my point being is is that that yeah it like having jason todd run around seriously swear seriously break arms seriously be 
kind of right on the edge of going too far or over the edge, depending on where you calibrate things. It was kind of like, oh, yeah, there's some actual threat in a mature reader's Batman story that wasn't like, oh, the threat's going to be that Batman's going to take his dick out. But, you know, but is a little bit of like, oh, the there are repercussions. And at the same time, of course, part of me is like, but will there be repercussions? You know, in the sense of what does that mean? Repercussions for the story or, again, because this is... Um, the wonderful world of continuity. Is this an incontinuity story? And does that even really mm -hmm. matter? So your mm -hmm is, is that it is. Oh, no, it, it's, it's more about the idea. Of, oh, I see. Got uh, it. Okay. Repercussions. Yes. Like, uh, I, I read, uh, I was catching up on books this morning mm -hmm. and I read the, the final part of the most recent Superman, Batman, uh, Batman, Superman. Cause mm -hmm. of course the order of their names is important. Uh, comic. Yeah. And the solicit says, like, this story will have repercussions for the DC universe over the next few months. Mm -hmm. And, Jeff, I'm not being sarcastic when I say this. I don't see how it can. <laughs> like, I genuinely don't. And right. maybe it will. Mm -hmm. Like, legitimately, maybe it will. Mm -hmm. But having read it, mm -hmm. and this is not a slam on it, it's a fine final part of a three-part story. Right. But there is nothing in there that makes me go, oh, this is going to spin out to other comics. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel that the idea of like, you know, this story is going to have repercussions. Is is this a threat slash promise mm -hmm. that that people say instead of like, this book's going to be good? Right, right. Do you know what I mean? And especially something like Three Jokers, which I guess is in continuity. Mm -hmm. Me. Right. Like... Who even knows at this point? Right. You really don't. You don't know. You really. It's so the, hard I, the idea to tell. Like, it's, that's going to have it. It's mm -hmm. just like, sure. Okay. If you say so. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and in a way, I enjoyed Three Jokers as much, you know, like kind of uh, wherever it's going to end up. Like, I may at, at the end be like, oh, please, God, don't end up in continuity. One of the things I thought was clever in. And, and I always feel like with with Johns these days, there's, you know, potential air quotes in there or not, is, you know, this is a story that he himself set up like years ago in Justice League. And it, at least in the Batman gets the power of, of Metreon and is able to see things. And one of the things he asks is, what's the Joker's real identity? And that's when he finds out that there are quote, there yeah, are three Jokers. Yes. Yes. One and of the things... Like, and that's even in um, DC Universe Rebirth. Mm -hmm. Like, they set it up there so it starts in continuity. Right, right. So one of the things that I thought was incredibly smart of John's is he doesn't reference that at all. In Three no. Jokers number one, which is really, really smart, I thought. There was something weird where just by dint of him not being like, yes, remember when you sat on the Mobius chair and you found out? Like, yes. Although that said, like, who do, who doesn't expect a reference to that at some point in the series? I, I kind of don't. I mean, maybe there will be, but I kind of had this sneaking suspicion that John's is, if nothing else, I kind of felt like Three Jokers is John's being like, well, if nothing else, 
I'm going to get some adaptation money from the next DC animated original movie. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it... okay. I mean, that's a, you know, three jokers is also 100% continuity part. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. You know, three, three jokers is him being like, you know what? I fucking love that period between 1987 and 1989 mm-hmm. where the Joker did like two really fucked up things. Well, you know, what I think is funny is is that I, I agree with you, but I also think obsessively reading it, um, you know, he has – I mean, he brings back Gaggy, which – Yeah, yeah. Who had, who I only knew about exactly. two weeks who before. Has, yeah, you know. Yeah, who hasn't been seen for like 40 years. Exactly. And I kind of like the fact that he freaked me out with Gaggy again. But he also has like a very specific – panel shout out to uh neil adams uh denny mm-hmm. o'neill joker story there's of course the I, laughing fish reference like there it, one it of the is things I, yeah sorry I no 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 no. i was just gonna say like there even even the first appearance of one of the jokers the one who's not smiling is 100 percent the first appearance of the joker in the first batman story so it's he really does laden it with throughout i think here here's the thing that i don't get and maybe this is me looking for like a high concept where there isn't one Mm -hmm. in fact well there definitely isn't one but looking for a high concept where like it was never intended Mm -hmm. i honestly thought that the idea of three jokers was going to be like there has been like the like the silver age joker Mm -hmm. who was comedic and right. there, then there was the Neil Adams Joker, mm-hmm. and then there was, you know, fucking whatever the the Capullo, the the Snyder Capullo Joker. Yeah, right, right. And it's not. It just seems to be like there are three Jokers who are kind of maybe the same. Right. You know, like there doesn't seem to be any differentiator between the Jokers. Right, and so and maybe read, like, at some point there like, will be, but yeah, yeah, exactly. I, but I feel like I feel like the story misses something by not having that meta element. You know, like, I've got to be honest, I was disappointed by Three Jokers, number one, because it didn't have that meta element, and because it seemed, it did seem of a muchness with Doomsday Clock in a lot of ways, in mm-hmm. large part because Johns is still very much an Alan Moore mm-hmm. you know, and also there is, and this is maybe an ironic thing to say about Joker stories, there's a humorlessness about it. Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. Right. And that's going to be one of the things that will be interesting to see. Although that being said, there is the the last page of it is Funny, it's funny and fucked it's up. It's weirdly, yeah. grimly funny. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, so totally. I, yeah, I kind of have that like, oh, maybe part of why he keeps it so deadpan is that heightens the punchline. You know, like I don't know. There, there's. Uh, I, I see your point. The thing that shocked me was I thought that three jokers like you was going to be this meta aspect. And the idea that he really is doing a thematic idea of each of these jokers reflect potentially something in each of the three bat characters, you know, by aligning, by throwing it, not just having it be a Batman story, but having it be a Batman, Red Hood, Batgirl story has the possibility maybe of of going somewhere i'm kind of worried that it might pivot into um 
and also kind of my hope by doing a mature label thing, although it didn't save Doomsday Clock, um, it won't have the the pivot into Jeff Johns' pablum, like, oh, and that's why we always need hope. Like, I'm kind of expecting that. That's what I'd say. Like, Doomsday Clock leans, if anything, harder than you would expect into that. Absolutely. And, and I think that this might be in it, in, in, as well, be considering it kind of feels at this point like the three Jokers might be an ultra extreme version of the Killing Joke, except you have you don't have a hopeful pivot at the end. Except it being John's, I feel like John's has always. It always seems kind of Catholic, you know what I mean? Like he always runs off and performs uh, after going to confession, you know, he he performs penance. And penance is always like, oh, but the DC is good and these figures are inspirational, you know? That's that's where John's simultaneously, you know, aligns with me and irritates the living shit out of me. Right. Which is, John's is very much a, well, DC Universe is supposed to be in a hopeful, optimistic place. Yeah. And he's like, and I'll prove it mm-hmm. by having the worst, most fucked up shit happen to them. Yes. And then in the last issue, being like, but what if we smiled? Yes, exactly. exactly. You know, and it's like, and honestly, like, three Jokers one feels like he's 100% going down that route. Yeah, yeah, right. I agree. You know, because I I feel that the because they've already hinted at like issue two is the is the issue where something unthinkable happens and it I I I feel and I hope I'm wrong but I feel it's going to be Batgirl goes too far mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and then like fuck why why mm-hmm. who who actually needs that story mm-hmm. especially because it undercuts Batgirl's story right. You know, Batgirl story is that she basically fixed herself mm-hmm. emotionally mm-hmm. after what happened. Mm-hmm. And so if you're doing a story where, like, no, she didn't really. She's been keeping this rage down all this time. Right. Fuck that. Like, mm-hmm. that's that's dull. Mm-hmm. That, that is a boring story compared with the other story that's actually already being published. Right. And I, I really genuinely worry that John's being John's and John's being John's in a mature reader's book. Mm-hmm. It's going to be like, well, what if Barbara rapes one of the Jokers? <laughs> right. Sure. You know, and it would just be, nope. Right. Literally nobody wants to read that story. Right. right what right, if Barbara right. kills someone too? Nobody wants to read that story. That mm-hmm. does nothing for any of the characters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> and then that you go, but Bruce, I've realized what if bats mean hope? <laughs> and everyone's like, it's so, it's, it, it's so well, that was definitely worth it. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, or, or essentially some variation on, um, because Jason Todd and Batgirl went too far in issue one and two, they're the ones who are able to stop Batman from going too far in issue three being like yes, no they've learned they've learned and you stand for something and you can't go down the road that we do because you stand for something bigger 
which is yes, a guy dressed as a flying mouse. Yeah, no, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know. It's, it think seems... of Tim. Think of Damien. Right, right. Exactly. No, you can see all this. It, it, it and that's the thing. I, I, it's funny how much I, I'm like right now. I'm like, oh, sometimes reading comics is a little bit like going to the track. You know, you got your money. You are gambling. You know, you're at your heart of heart. You're kind of just throwing money out into the road, but. There's also a little bit of a feeling of like, but this might come out right. I feel like maybe this could. I want to see exactly. how this, this gonna turns be out. The one. This, this is, is going to be, be the one. one. This is going to come in. Like I can feel. This is. I'm hopeful. Like first out of the gate, that that three jokers number one made me think like, oh, maybe that horse is not going to like break its leg in the last twenty yards and end up finishing last. Like this time it can happen. So. I don't know. Bless you, you optimistic. Friend. I know, right? That's that kind of like yes, by 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 hoping that that Johns is actually going to commit to utter nihilism. I am participating in optimism. Woohoo! Comics alchemy. Graham, one of the things I wanted to talk about, and I was a little worried to do so because I feel it's a very difficult thing to talk about without full spoilers, and I'm not sure if that's a place where we wanted to go or a thing we wanted to do was talk about Bill and Ted Face the Music. <laughs> I liked it. I I loved it. I, I, got, really did. I got a lot out of it. Yes. I got a lot more out of it than I expected to. Yep. And I got so much out of it that the next day I was still thinking about it. I was like, am I projecting? You're not. You're absolutely just, not. I yeah. shit you not. Mm -hmm. I asked my therapist about it because I had a therapy fight with that day. Right. And she never seen any Bill and Ted film. And I spent a not inconsiderable amount of time in my therapy session <laughs> explaining wow. not only the concept of Bill and Ted in general, but the plot of the first one. Yes. She kept asking questions. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so part of the reason why I'm worried that it might be kind of full spoilers for everyone, and I want to throw that out there, is because uh, Graham and I really more or less got the same thing out of the third movie. I think I might have mentioned to you, Edie had not seen the first two, so I rewatched those with her because I had only seen them since when they came out, maybe once since for each. Quite enjoyed both of them. I seem to like the second movie a lot more than any everyone else did. But then, this made me want to watch it. Oh, okay. Uh, and the but the third movie is unbelievably satisfying uh in precisely that sort of middle-aged guy movie thing that you middle-aged person movie that you nailed down you know it, it entirely is though yeah. right it, yep. it's 100 percent a film about about being like a 40 or 50 year old dude mm -hmm. and come to terms with your own failure yeah to the point where you don't just come to terms with it you learn to embrace it yes yeah Absolutely. And it, it, it's one of those movies that is just great because it kind of does the, to me, it's almost like that classic Star Trek episode riff of it's a science fiction movie that is very much using the science fiction stuff. Um, although it does so with a lot of, um, fun and thrills and rompy stuff to, to actually kind of illuminate a very specific idea about, 
human nature. And and one of the things that's also great is it really does take the ideas behind the first two movies and kind of um, expands on them, knows, knows really where to go um, in a way that you really don't think that they had in mind when they wrote the first one or well, even no, the no, second exactly. one. It, it feels know? very much like a film that could only be written by people who are in their uh, middle age now. Exactly. Once you make it to middle age. There's also a variety of little things that are really great in, in the sense that these are people who have clearly thought about the movies and thought about the characters and thought about, you know, kind of various little bits and do-overs. Like one of the things that Edie pointed out was one of the problems with the first movie, two movies, was that idea of having to have a piece of music that's so good that it unites the world is always kind of a problem to portray on film because there's never a sense of, oh, there's never ever going to be anything that, that is that good, you know? <laughs> and the way that the third film solves that, uh, which I guess since we're on full spoilers, by essentially having it be something where everyone throughout time is playing it. Like... And that's what brings everyone and everything together makes a shit ton of sense. And kind yes, of, yes. uh, it's such a graceful. Yes. Yeah. There's a lot of grace in that. Um, one of the things that I, I love in Bill and Ted face the music is, is that Bill and Ted continue to face as in the previous movies, incarnations of themselves throughout time but the con the the confrontations are more loaded and um hilarious but also sad and and one of the things that's really great about it because there's so much self-recrimination about it is is how much it says about the characters in this weird like for such a fun trifle trilogy of movies i spent a lot of time thinking about the fact that the fact that Ted doesn't like himself in any of his any time that he meets himself in the future he 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 has this animosity and mm -hmm. it's kind of this weird like oh he really doesn't like himself which if you think about his situation in his life with the dad that he has and things it to me i found it incredibly poignant to the point where again full spoilers where he is essentially talking to himself if not on his deathbed then dead deathbed adjacent yeah he he's, he has that wonderful like well ted i feel like i never really got to know you and <laughs> he's like i know what you mean ted and it's my fault I just feel like I wasn't really there for you. And what's wonderful about it is it's funny because it's the scene it's the scene that you're supposed to have with your distant dad, but you're actually having it with yourself. Yourself, but, yeah. But that also is this weird again kind of beautiful middle age mechanism of you realize at a certain point all of the shit that you took from your parents you are now you're now having that conversation with yourself. Like those people, even if, you know, they've either left the room entirely or it doesn't even really matter nearly as much as the fact that you're still 
having that. So the fact that Ted doesn't like himself, and by contrast, Bill, who's always the dude who is Mr. kind of upbeat, we can do this, always likes himself, uh, his future selves, but his future selves are always capable of lying to him, are always deceiving him. And so that yeah. that that idea of like, oh, this character always lies to himself. This character always doubts himself. And that's actually part of the reason why they need each other and are excellent dudes for one another is kind of like, I was thinking about it being like, wow, it really maps. Like it maps in a really satisfying way. Like it, it really does. And also like, I, I, I have no idea if you're the same, but like, I saw the the twist, the Preston Logan twist, coming like at the start of the. Film. Oh, absolutely! From like the first, yeah, exactly. Like, like almost immediately. Yep, yep. But it that only adds to it. Yeah, like it builds towards that, even though you know it's coming. Mm-hmm. In mm-hmm. a way that is is joyful. Like there is something joyful about seeing them. You know the 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 multiple the multiple pun of the title. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. That like they continually just tell themselves, literally, as in you know they're trying to reassure themselves, but also telling the future version of some of themselves and telling their wives like we'll fix it. Yeah. We'll fix it. We'll That's fix right. it. And yeah. it's only when they admit that they can't fix it. Yeah. That it gets fixed. Yeah. It's incredibly rewarding. Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. In part because. You as a viewer are ahead of them. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. You know, you're, you're like, you're not going to fix it. But you don't get you don't get angry at them. And you don't get frustrated at them because they are astonishingly pure characters. Right. Right. Exactly. Which is which is um, which is part of what makes them so enjoyable and watchable you know one of the things that's kind of funny about uh bill and ted is they're kind of uh how do i put it i guess and this may only make sense to people of a certain age but um millie vanilli is to terence trent darby as bill and ted (laughs) are to to to, well i was going to say to um uh, what's his name? Jeb Spicoli from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. You know. Oh wow! Okay. So, because the idea, I, yeah. I always speak the Wayne's World connection because for some reason I think they're they're roughly the same periods of mm-hmm. pop culture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Because they are, but I think they're too. In that sense, to me, they're almost like kind of too close together. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah. yeah, they're siblings. They're, yeah. they're both descended from the same parent. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So. So kind of the the way in which it becomes kind of a, the first movie is kind of like, oh, the joke is more or less that these guys are so, uh, say most of the lines at the same time, I guess, you know, becomes this because they're so single minded and they're kind of happy surfer dude isms like there's something that. As that goes along, each movie sort of makes it a point to make them more, like you said, more pure in a way. The 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 purity in that that is kind of, um, really just just uh, that pays off in the third movie in a really yes. great way. But but it's true, you know, because in the first movie you can read them as being 
like dumb, but only dumb. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. in the second movie, there is a sense of they're dumb, but they're also in, like amazingly sweet. Yes, and, and they they want like they they mean well mm-hmm. in a way that they kind of didn't in the first one. Mm-hmm. Right. Or right. yeah, or it kind of tips a little bit. Like there, the, one of the things that actually kind of works about the first Bill and Ted movie is there. It's it's not just that they travel through time collecting all these other historic dudes, but they are such goodwill characters that all of those people kind of help them or fall in line with them, you know? Mm -hmm. And again, what the the kind of the brilliance of having Bill and Ted fall in love at first sight with the people, with the two women that they see in the first movie, they are married to them, you know, like, and by the third movie, it's, it's the, they, there's, they're the only characters that they care about. Like the, the very, part of them that makes them sort of work is there is is there essential decency and i sort of like how much that, that movie and i think in in a way that it was incredibly gratifying bill and ted face the music is um you even though you're seeing these characters in middle age they're looking further down the road as they try and solve this problem of writing well, the perfect song and they're just finding themselves be a, um closer and closer to blaming themselves about it rather than anyone else i guess you know i i'm super fascinated as well and i don't know what to make of bill and Ted's excellent adventure they Look, they literally look to the past to uh, guarantee their future. Right. And in Bill and Ted Face the Music, they go forward to their future selves to essentially maintain their former promise. Mm. Hmm. And I don't know, like, there's something in that, and I don't know what it is, but it's stuck with me all week. Mm. Mm -hmm. Like, what is it about the fact that like the, the the basically the direction switches. Mm-hmm. Mm. Like I feel there's something there, and I don't know what it is. Well, I you know I think I think that it. it well, that's a good question. I would I would say that because the mechanism of the third movie is very specifically and smartly about middle age. It is very much about that moment at which middle age stops being torture and begins becoming a thing that you can embrace again, which is having to give up on the future, right? So it kind of makes sense that you have to more or less look at the future. Um, You know, by contrast, Bill and Ted's daughters go into the past and create a you know more or less do a very pared down version of the first movie exactly Mm -hmm. it's just the the difference is is that they have you know done what you hope should happen in a good family which is they have learned from their parents mistakes instead of just 
inherited them or not 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 learned from their mistakes but rather have new problems to solve as opposed to having but, to solve the same problems over but again. also they have they have literally learned from the experiences of their their parents yes absolutely you know like they they and they are able they're at once everything that their parents were but also more yes yeah you know like like bill and ted actually say this in the film that you know they they could not write the song yeah because they like they literally can't write the song but they don't approach creativity in the same way that that billy and tia do exactly exactly you know and and so there is like and that's you know it's there is so much there Mm -hmm. that that feels very specifically like middle-aged men wrote this yes. movie about yeah. being middle-aged. Yeah, exactly, and it's wonderful. I remember sort of there were because Steven Soderbergh's one of the executive producers on it, and uh, somebody asked him because they had heard the story way back when. Like, is it true that you're producing a third Bill and Ted movie? Because they were kind of asking in that way that like it sounds like a joke. Yes. And and I do I have to give it up for Steven Soderbergh. He was like, "We are producing a third movie, and the script is fabulous." And he's he was not kidding. He's he was not kidding. That script delivers on just so many really lovely levels. It's really such a a fantastic little piece of construction in so many ways, and and in that way that really does connect. And like you said connects in uh oh yeah this is this this is a this is the perfect middle-aged movie um to see like this is very uh it's also kind of it was also weird to see in various ways like i'm kind of like oh yeah oh full future huh okay well i mean you know which is a very funny separate situation which you know listeners see jeff's first half hour of this podcast uh (laughs) But yeah, I really wanted to talk about it because I was like, it's great and it's really chewy. It's like a really no, it, chewy character of a film. Yeah, For a dumb comedy, mm-hmm. like it sticks with you for a long time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, And it is also, that's, that's part of the joy of it. It is also a dumb comedy. Oh, very much so. Yeah, very, very much so. Yeah, you know, it, it 100% satisfies in that. Uh, like the, the, the robot... Yes. Is it's the greatest un, yeah. like unpayoff joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is it absolutely fabulous. The the all the stuff with the robot is just great. So yeah, that that was all again sort of perfectly attuned. So yeah, it completely enjoyable. Um, and then I watched Bram Stoker's Dracula, which is not. So there you go. Wait, why, why did you do that? That said. Uh... <laughs> Uh, we watched Alien and Aliens. Ooh, yeah, right. Now, uh, and had you watched either or both or neither or? Oh, I've 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 seen both of them, but like not for years. In mm. fact, I'm pretty sure that I haven't seen Aliens in at least three decades, if not more. Wow. Okay. And I've got to tell you, I did not remember Aliens being as shit as it is. <laughs> is it? I haven't seen Aliens it in a while. Is. is like I, I swear to God, I did not remember it looking as cheap as it does. Mm, yeah. It looks astonishingly cheap in mm-hmm. a way that I just didn't notice mm-hmm. when I saw it the first time. But again, I saw it the first time when I was like thirteen or something insane well, like that, right? But there's That's also, what, of course, I would, 
I mean, things look shit from back then. Like that yeah, first but, Bill but and like, Ted like movie this, is just this like looks shit, and this looks shit in a way that other movies of the period didn't. Oh, the I don't know, man. Seriously bad. Mm. Uh, like the miniature work is really, really bad. But also, there's so much back projection. Yeah, <laughs> that is right. That is kind of amazing. Right. Um, but also, I, I honestly, honestly, when I saw it before, did not realize how bad a script it is. Oh, interesting. I have to see it because, of course, I'm like, what? Shocking. Really? Hmm. Uh, Vasquez, I do not think she gets more than two lines without including some Spanish in there. Yeah. Just mind you that she's Latina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Hudson says man every second sentence. Mm -hmm. Uh, Which is funny when you say game over man before. I was like, oh, shit, no. (laughs) Like, I'm having fun. No, but it is. It's a really, and also it's full of things that the movie, that is only true because the movie says it. Mm. And like, there's no logical explanation for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a part where uh, they're talking, like they're on LV, whatever it's called. And they're like, but the alien la- lays eggs. So there must be another alien that's laying them. Mm-hmm. And I was like, there's nothing to back up that theory. Right. <laughs> Why can the alien you've seen not be the one to lay the eggs? Mm-hmm. And the truth is they just wanted like a big boss at the end of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing in that thing that makes sense. Mm. Or the, the like even the big final battle, the, the power lifter lands in the, the queen alien. And it's like, why can the queen alien not just lift the armor off now? Right. <laughs> it move it before. Mm. Why can't it move it now? Oh, that's right. Because Sigourney Weaver has to climb up a ladder and then somehow climb, continue to climb up a ladder while it's open in the vacuum of space. <laughs> Oh Jesus! Wow, you know, and it's just it's things like that where it like it it literally makes no sense. Mm. Um, but everything happens because the movie wants it to happen. Mm-hmm. Like I remember as a kid watching and being like, James Cameron, whoever he is, is literally like masturbating to the thought of the Marines, and that's like you know blindingly obvious today. Too. I was like, I was about to say good call, thirteen year old Graham. Yeah, that is I'd like, say James like, Cameron's career has yeah, but born a lot but of like, that. Out. I mean watch that film. It's it's yeah. absolutely nuts. Um but like I did not remember that the screenplay is just shockingly poor. Mm. I mean laughably bad. Wow, really? Um and the, the it looks so cheap. Mm. Alien holds up. Oh yeah. Alien does Alien, hold up. Alien one hundred percent. Yeah, Alien absolutely. Is, is a trash fight. And I know that so many people are going to be like, no! Yeah, uh, I'm very okay. shocked so by your saying, hot take. I'm sure you saw this when you were a teenager. Mm-hmm. And I'm also sure you haven't watched it recently. <laughs> right, right. Wow, that is amazing. I do have to say, I've seen Alien several times. Um, and Aliens, I think I saw once. So... Um, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's on HBO Max, which is why we were watching Sure, it. which I, makes I sense. Started Alien Three. Oof. Alien Three. Oh God. Do they have all of the Alien movies? And then they have. Uh, they have Alien, Aliens, Alien Three, Alien Resurrection. Oh man. But they don't have Alien Covenant. Mm. Well, that's fine because that's later through the Prometheus. Oh yeah. I mean, it's got stuff, Prometheus. Yeah. So, so yeah. the plan is that we're going to watch Alien Three, then Alien Resurrection, then possibly the two Alien versus Predators, which are also on HBO Max right now. Oh wow. Wow. Um, and then we'll do Prometheus. Wow. Because uh, I'm fairly sure I've not seen Resurrection. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I I have seen Prometheus. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so uh, man, we'll good I luck. It's being interesting and also the slowest film I think I've ever seen. 
Prometheus cracked me up. I have to say, I spent so much time laughing at Prometheus because um, it's it's weirdly uh, it's weirdly brazen. Um, I thought I thought uh, there's parts in of course I feel that. I feel this is the case with all Ridley Scott movies past a certain point, which is they're just like measurements and squandered potential. Uh, and there's some stuff in in Prometheus that's fabulous, and then just a lot that is awful. But that is that, not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is not. But there's also a lot of sort of the same way that Bram Stoker's Dracula is really of uh, kind of fun to watch. Uh, preferably while high and with a certain amount of cinema knowledge and or knowledge of, of the movie a little bit, because you can sit there and be like, Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. Look, you know, having read some stuff over the things, it was like, Oh, okay. I see where he's, he's going here with this. Cause honestly, one of the things that did strike me with, um, with Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula is, is that Coppola in part is sort of toying with the idea of pointing to the equivalence of vampires and cinema. Like, I think that it is actually more or less a unintentional uh, pointing. You know, it's like Coppola is super into cinema. He's really aware that when Dracula takes place, one of the fun things about the book is that Bram Stoker was kind of a big technophile for the time. So you've got people using dictation machines and typewriters, and there's a lot of stuff about trains versus boats as far as travel stuff. But there's also a, a Coppola sees the opportunity for having the, the birth of the cinema happened more or less at the same time that, that Dracula is taking place. And so he has a, a very lengthy um, thing where essentially Dracula seduces Mina Harker at a cinemagraph, I think it's called. And you see, and one of the things that's super fun is because... Coppola and Coppola's son, who's the special second unit director and is in charge of doing the visual effects. Um, Roman Coppola's big obsession with recreating classic movie effects, they decide to bring just a shit ton of that into Bram Stoker's Dracula. So, uh, which again, you having seen CQ is kind of a weird... um, offspring in a way yeah, of yeah, that movie yeah. um so a lot of the classic effects which are miniatures and ratcheted deep focus and reverse uh films for special effects and stop shutters and all sorts of just a whole panoply of effects make it really fun to watch because and also it's not a subtle movie because he's very much doubling down on Oh, the Victorians were super repressed. Dracula represents all these things that they're afraid of. And so we're going to try and show the darker side of these characters and kind of, you know, sort of that typical baby boomer, haha, repressed people are funny, I guess, kind of thing. Um, but it it's so it's it's watchable in a 
it's a it's I mean, you can't really watch it for the acting, which is just atrocious in so many places. <laughs> Although some people were genuinely better than I remembered. But I mean, it's and then the script is just god awful. And also I, I remember being pretty and also unwatchable. Yeah, well, and and so I remember seeing it in the theater and being ferociously disappointed in it, which is why this is the first time re-watching it. But there's a little bit of, if you know what you're getting into, I was like, yeah, I want to see some special effects and some just some absolute shit. I mean, and don't get me wrong, there is, there's a lot of things that um, Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula really works if you can forget the entire existence of Ken Russell altogether, right? Because once you remember that Ken Russell existed, like Ken Russell so handily in Lair of the White Worm, like defeats, like just trounces uh, Coppola at his own game in just about every respect. Because Coppola is like, ooh, what if I'm naughty and I do this as campy, you know? And, and Ken Russell's like, you know, I don't even, like, this is where I live, you know, get out of the way, tourist. Um, but it was... I, I think everyone who's seen Lair of the White Worm secretly wants to forget that Ken Russell exists. <laughs> See, I think there are two people, uh, two groups of people in this world. I mean, apart from the fact that there are two groups of people in the world, people who divide groups into two groups and people who don't but that, that i gotta say i've heard a lot of people say there's two groups of people in this world and then do it where there's a third group of people where like neither of those things applies to <laughs> yeah, that's my favorite thing there's like the people who love she hulk and there's people who hate she hulk and you're like what about all the people who don't give a shit or have never heard of she hulk right and they're exactly. like they don't exist yeah <laughs> Anyway, two groups of people in this world, people who divide people in two groups, people who don't. As one of the former, I do think that there are people who um, embrace the scaldingness that was Lair the White Worm and those who, like you said, try to forget that Ken Russell ever existed. One of the great things about Ken Russell is how much he upped the ante. Like, if you haven't forgotten about me yet, wait till my next movie, you know, oof. Ah, man, Ken Russell. Mm. Anyway, so, who did great work. Holy shit, the devils. Anyway, uh, Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. Not, not great, but if you are, if you are high enough and you've got a few hours to kill, it's, it's, it, it's certainly a movie where things happen. Like, it's very, it's, to me, it's very watchable. And, uh, ooh, look at how they did the miniature effects on that. And, Oh, oh, this is, I think I remember, because that's the other thing that's crazy is like, you've got Mike Mignola and Jim Steranko yes, more or less collaborating, I, I was, right? You know. I mean, do you remember the Mignola comic? Yeah, yeah, right? Like That was great. And honestly, when people talk about Bram Stoker's Dracula, that's always the thing I think of first. Yeah, exactly, right? So, but, you know, and then there's, I think it's Arthur Sudium, maybe, or is it uh, the other guy, the dinosaur-drawn guy? Anyway, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of really talented people doing the um, design work for that movie. And then, of course, it's just a trash fire. But uh, it's like, wow, what a, what a glorious trash fire indeed. So yes, no no real reason to talk about that nearly as much as Bill and Ted, which was worth our time. 
Graham McMillan. But, but I like that both of us have been watching, like, you know, genre films from, like, 35 years ago, inexplicably. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, sort of semi-inexplicably, I suppose. Uh, uh, it's it's always more surprising, I think, uh, when you do it. But um, uh, so to bring it back to comics and the idea of talking about comics and the idea of comics, comics, comics. Do you want to talk about other things that you've read? Other things that um, jumped I, I, out at I've you? I've read. Uh, actually, I'm going to do something that pivots off of what I was talking about, aliens. Uh, I read. I caught up on Blade Runner 2019, which is a Titan comic uh, that is not really a spinoff from either of the Blade Runner movies, but is written by Michael Green, who co-wrote the screenplay for 2049. Right. Um, have you read any of it at all? I have not. No. Uh, I really fucking like it. Hmm. I might like it more than I like either of the films. Wow. That's interesting. Um, it's the second collection is coming out really soon. That's actually the reason I was reading it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm interviewing them for THR. Um, it, the first collection is, for want of a better way of putting it, like very much leaning into the noir of the original film. Mm-hmm. There is a Blade Runner. She has secrets, because of course she does. And she is hired to find a missing girl. Mm. The girl is human. uh, But the reason she is hired in particular is, for one thing, she is down in her luck. You know, things are going shittily for her. She'd look for any job. But secondly, the the kid's stepmother is a replicant. Mm. And the kid's stepmother has also disappeared. Hmm. And there may be a connection between the disappearances. Uh, the the father of the, the missing girl is also friends with Tyrell of the Tyrell Corporation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, spoilers for the end of the first collection, I guess. Um, the kid is found and uh, it's it, the kid is human, I should say. Mm-hmm. The kid is found and ends up off worlds in the colonies that they always talk about in the movies, but never actually show. Mm. And the second collection takes place in the colonies. Oh, interesting. Huh. Which is a big deal, right? And it takes right. place like in a period you've never seen. So like the original movie is like 2017 or 2018. Right. Um, and by the second collection of the comics, the one that's coming out in a week or so, uh, it's 2026. So you're mm. in a period that's not covered in the movies. Hmm. And it takes place in the colonies, which you've never seen in the movies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I... It does very smart things, and I kind of want to say what the smart things are, but they're completely spoilers. Mm. Um, but it pivots really hard away from the the genre of the first storyline, mm-hmm. like very hard, um, and instead sort of reboots the series, but in a, in a way that stays true to the story that's being told, mm-hmm. but makes the story far much larger, mm. uh, and and. It was one of the things where I enjoyed the first run a lot. But in the second one, I was like, oh, they're really fucking good at this. Hmm. Like, they're doing this very well. It feels like they're actually giving a lot of thoughts to to the Blade Runner-iness of it, for want of a better way of putting it. It's mm-hmm. not Dick. You know, it's not Philip K. Dick. But neither was the Blade Runner movie, really. That's right. Yeah. So it's it's something else. But I think, it, I think the comic treats replicants arguably more respectfully than the movies do. Hmm. Um, very much in keeping, for my money, in the, the tone of the first film. Mm-hmm. Especially the second volume. The se- second volume has has action sequences that feel like they're sort of connected to what you see in the first film. Hmm. Um, 
but it's I feel like it gives the replicants more autonomy mm. um, and also a political agenda, hmm. which I find very interesting. Uh, it's a really fucking smart spinoff of, of of honestly like movies. If you you suggest to me that there could be a comic spinoff, I'd be like, oh fuck, yeah, right. I don't think that needs to exist at all. And instead, it feels it feels really interesting. It feels like a really interesting take on the the I don't want to say mythology, but the ideas mm-hmm. of the of the the movies that exist hmm. in a way that that feels fresh. Uh, and I and I really was surprisingly into it hmm. you know um because of the alien because of watching aliens i have actually just out of hoopla got the a collection of the first dark horse aliens comics ah You've still got the dark horse collections available on hoopla before it comes out from marvel mm. um and of course all of those that all of a sudden were completely booted from continuity mm-hmm. as soon as alien 3 came out and killed off all the characters yeah right uh, I, yeah, I, I remember reading those way back in the day, like eighty eight, eighty seven. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm, I'm actually very excited to go back and reread those now. Hmm. Uh, I'm trying to think what else I've read. I, like I said, I caught up on a bunch of DC stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I read, I read something that's coming out next week. I read the the, um, I think it's called Death Metal Trinity Crisis. <laughs> It, it's one of the, the like, you know, tie-in issues of death metal. Right. Uh, Francis Manipal draws it. I think Scott Snyder's writing it. It could be Snyder and James Tynan. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, let, shall we just say that my lack of fandom for death metal continues? Ah, yes. Uh, but also, I'm kind of confused as to how they don't think it's an issue of death metal. Mm-hmm. Like, it feels so tied in to the primary story mm-hmm. that I'm not sure how you could skip that and fully understand what's going to be happening in Death Metal. Hmm. Wow. That's not... Uh, so that seems really weird. Yeah. I, I'm now looking forward to the next issue proper of Death Metal to see how they basically explain this away. Mm-hmm. Because not only is it a chunk of story, there's introductions of characters and concepts which feel fairly important holy shit be picked up in the main series <sighs> christ okay um, and it's like is this because you know Grecopool couldn't hit a deadline for a month and they they wanted a fill-in artist but they didn't want to have a fill-in artist in the main series mm-hmm. or like what why is this not an issue of death metal mm-hmm. i don't get it hmm. um on, on the flip side, I read The End of Empire, and mm. I really liked that book. Really? Yeah, I really did. It's This sounds like Damning with Fame Praise, and it's just the opposite. Mm-hmm. It's a really solid mainstream Marvel superhero story. Mm-hmm. It's not trying to reinvent the wheel, mm-hmm. and I really appreciated it because of that. Mm. You know, it's, I mean, it, it sort of stands beside, like, the original Secret Wars. You know, mm-hmm. it's superheroes against the threat, and they try and save the day. Mm-hmm. And they do. Mm-hmm. And yet I found that I really appreciated that. I can see that. I can totally see that. Uh, it's weird, because I picked up the first issue of Empire, um, I think on your recommendation, and enjoyed it. And then I picked up the second issue of Empire, and kind of wandered away. Was kind of like, okay, I don't feel the urgency 
for well, that's, this. That's kind of the appeal for me. Mm-hmm. For what a better way of putting it. When I say like it's a mainstream Marvel superhero story, I kind of mean that. There is at no point do you really think that anything bad is going to happen in this comic. Mm-hmm. And everything bad is is promised, you know. Mm-hmm. Like the sixth issue starts with She Hulk is dead and possessed by one of the plant things. Mm-hmm. The Kree's and Skrull are like it's not been the Hulkling who's been the the emperor all along. There's it's been a con. And by the way, they're going to blow up the sun, mm-hmm. right? That's all grand scale threats mm-hmm. and and all personal threats. She Hulk's dead, right? Right. But you never, or I never, expected anything other than a happy ending. Mm-hmm. I this didn't. Feel, this never felt like what we think event comics today feel like, mm-hmm. which is the you know again this will have repercussions for the entire Marvel universe. Right. It never felt like that, and that was the appeal for me. Mm-hmm. The appeal for me was that as as fun as it was, no one ever really felt in danger. Mm-hmm. You know, hmm. that I found that a positive. Yeah, yeah, no, I, 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 I can see that. Yeah, right. That being positive, but yeah, right, right, that right. Really worked for me. Hmm. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad to hear it. I'm not necessarily sure. Like, I think I might hang out until until Marvel Unlimited gets yeah, it. Exactly. You know? Yeah, but wait six months. There, yeah. there was, again, I, I would not say. This is something you have to rush out and read. It'll change your life. Sure. Because again, it won't. That's kind of the joy. Right. Kind of the joys of it. No, I know. But I do think that there is something that is, um, I, yeah, I kind of don't need the, oh, it's got to be a game changer. I, you know, I, it, it sounds appealing precisely because I don't really need a game changer, I guess. You yeah. Know? yeah. So, yeah. That, I mean, and like I said, I'm not really sure where or why I jumped off. Like maybe it was, uh, maybe it was Empire Zero wasn't great. Then one was em- good. Empire Zero, Empire Zero. There was two of them: the Fantastic Four and the Marvel and the Avengers one. Right, and it was and the Avengers neither one. Of them were, neither of them were strong. Right, exactly. And then one, and then one was good. Yeah, yeah, and then two. I don't remember why I jumped off, but I did. Yeah, it, so. it could have been the cost. Like, well, I there is that, yeah. I yeah. don't think this book was worth five dollars an issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Could be. Could be. Uh, did you check out? We only find them when they're dead. Uh, I'll be honest. I bought it and I've not read it. Okay, I bought it and read it. Uh, for those who are wondering, it is Al Ewing and Simone DeMio doing a book for published by Boom. Uh, it is some variation of the boom box thing and the fact that the copyright is in their name, which is great. Um, I had mixed feelings about it. Sadly, uh, the biggest feeling was I, I wasn't I wasn't really crazy about the colors. Uh, the colors, yes. for whatever reason, like the whole thing was like, eh. Eh, like it's also it's not a bad it's really not a bad story it's a very clever concept but i think my reading of the clever tagline concept which caused me to pick up the book was by the time i got to the end literally the last page of the first issue is the twist is precisely what was revealed in the solicit so i'm like 
huh, okay, well, I guess this would have landed better if I hadn't have known it. But, you know, so it was weird. It was kind of a thing where I'm like, I should really be into this because there is a lot of, you know, it's Ewing doing very smart uh, sci-fi storytelling. And um, the John... Layman, uh, I'm gonna forget the artist, which sucks. Uh, image book, Outer Darkness, which I oh, enjoy. Oh shit! Yes, I. Oh god, who did it? Because it was really good. And yes, it's, it's, I'm so sad it's over. Yeah. Oh wait, it's over. Afu Chan, yeah, yeah. Outer Darkness is done. What? They just finished yeah. the first season. Did they not? They didn't yeah. have the sales, huh? I, I guess they didn't have the sales. Outer Darkness is done. Fuck. Okay. Yeah, Afu Chan was fucking fantastic um yeah i guess i shouldn't really be surprised but that really sucks considering how it's set up but huh yeah afu chan uh. anyway we only find them when they're dead kind of reminds me a lot of the things that i liked in outer darkness except um i'm really just way more down with afu chan's fabulous fucking work and simone demio's work is for whatever reason just not my cuppa as the Mm -hmm. kids say uh, talking about Outer Darkness, did you read uh, Outer Darkness Chew? I did. I did. Uh, as, which, far as, I, as far as I know, that is the end of Outer Darkness. Yeah, which is hilarious. Um, there was something about that and the fact that it, suddenly there was Chew again. I was like, ah, oh, man, I guess, I guess Outer Darkness did not move the units they needed to move. But Outer Darkness Chew, which I read without having read Chew beyond the very first issue, I was like, uh, hmm, well, you know, sure. I mean, there were parts of it that I thought were uh, okay, but it definitely led me being like, yes, I'm definitely an Outer Darkness fan, and I want more, please. Wah, wah. Um, yeah, I, yeah it's, it's, it's done. And I can't remember... Because that was never officially announced, but yeah. I definitely layman say it somewhere. Oh, okay. Uh, that's interesting because I it did. There was a certain je ne sais. Um, yeah, maybe. So yeah, I have to look look at it. Um, wow, am I going to find the listing for this? One of the things that I did recently, you know, we had been uh, around the time of three hundredth episode. Somebody had asked us, like, "Hey, are you guys reading any Bond Destiny stuff?" And we're like. No. Nope. <laughs> um, Europe Comics had a big sale uh, on Comicsology recently, and there was this book called Last of the Atlases, which kind of caught my eye. And it was one of those situations where each issue was like a dollar fifty a pop instead of three dollars a pop for thirty-six pages. And I was like, oh, okay, you know what? I- I am temporarily insane. I'm going to I'm going to buy all ten issues sight unseen. Um, and then I read that today, and that that was it was good stuff. Um, it's written by Velman and De Bonneval. The artist is uh, Tancarel with a design by Blanchard, and the colorist is Lawrence Croix. It is a ten piece. Uh, I guess the best way to say is kind of, to me, it sort of felt like reading the French version of Urasawa's Pluto in that it is a 
a story with giant robots and um, tech, uh, what is it, tech apocalypses that is taking place in an alternate universe, France, where Algeria ended up developing down an entirely different route because of giant robots. And, um, and is basically kind of a crime story with this weird sci-fi motif behind it that moves unsurprisingly from the background into the foreground. Really very enjoyable. Each issue's 26 pages. And of course I got to the final issue and it is the end of season one. And I was like, Oh, you fucking bastards because of course it ends it <laughs> completely on a cliffhanger very much where you would expect it to end if you were um if it was say a tv show and it was the season finale so yeah. uh it'll be interesting to see how it wraps up but they got me on the hook and it was some great it was really fun like in a way it's not necessarily you know, groundbreaking work, but kind of a little bit like what we were talking about. One of the things that is fun is because there is um, an entire, it's an alternate universe with this split off history in which um, France's relationship with Algiers and Algeria and the crime underworld that, uh, that, that happens as a result it kind of is, you know, like a Euro, Euro crime comic with with a lot extra, you know. It kind of feels a little less um, moribund than some of the other sure. Euro comics that I read. So that was so, so, actually so wait, quite what's fun. The title of that again? It is called Last of the Atlases. Um, Okay, I'm I'm literally writing that down right now because that sounds that sounds very much my thing. Yeah, I'll be very curious. Check it. Have you check it out? And you be like, it is not very much my thing, Jeff. You've once again misled me. And while I'm on <laughs> the while you are misleading me, yes. While I am misleading you, Graham, uh, let me talk to you, uh, listeners. Two things that you should know about: one short term, one longer term. I have no idea how much longer this is going to happen. It would not surprise me if it ends by the end of this uh, for the U.S. holiday weekend. But Comixology and Marvel have essentially 256 plus issues of Black Panther available for Which is free. Nuts, right? Yeah, it's really crazy. I don't know if it's a tribute to Chadwick Boseman or or how. I just. Ended up hearing about it with people on Twitter being like, Jeff, 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 go check it out. I'll have a link in the show notes. Um, it's interesting to me the stuff that is not in there, which is to say stuff that only exists in trade format um, is not free. All the single issues are. So my beloved Don McGregor uh, Black Panther issues, because there's... I, there's only two issues of Jungle Action on Comixology. Neither of them are included in the sale, which I think is hilarious. But, for example, the Panther's, Ray, Panther's Quest, which is the collection of material from Marvel Comics uh, Presents uh, that was put into, uh, collected into a trade. Also not part of the sale, but... 
every goddamn issue of Christopher Priest, Reginald Hudland, all the Black Panther tie-in stuff before Ta-Nehisi Coates starts in, all of the Coates, I don't know about all of the Coates stuff, but a huge chunk of the Coates stuff, all of the Coates sort of tie-in stuff, such as, um, I don't want to say Agents of Wakanda, what was the... the, the... Agents of Wakanda is the... the um... It's the current one. It's the Jim Zub one. Yes. Um, you're talking about like Black Panther and the crew. Yeah, and Black Panther and the Worlds crew. Worlds of Wakanda and all That's that That's right. Stuff. Yeah, all of that stuff. The Killmonger miniseries, which a lot of people loved, is free in individual issues. Shuri is free. Apparently, the Doom War miniseries, which some people are inexplicably fond of, free in the individual issues. It's a lot of free comics, like really over 250 comics that uh, are free. So get on that. The other thing that I want to say to get on, which is a weird con uh, uh, um, contrast, is... Um, friend of the podcast slash bet noir of the podcast, uh, Abe has a Kickstarter currently running for three digital comics that he wrote um, where you can go and pony up and for just a mere, depending on how much you're, you're willing to pay between uh, eight and $11, you can get those three issues plus a whole bunch of his previous comic stuff, depending on what you pony up for. And I've read all three issues and I am super, super stoked. Abe collaborated with some incredibly talented uh, artists on these books. And they're very much kind of not what you would expect. Um, Alfredo, Alfredo Torres, uh, George Combatis, and my favorite, uh, Diego Guerra, who I think did work where I'm I'm convinced that this guy is going to be a comic superstar because his his issue, the second of the three issues, is fucking phenomenal. Um it's called Gangland All Stars. It's three one shots interconnected in in the way that you may or may not expect. I adored it. I really genuinely did. People know I like Abe a lot. I like Abe's writing a lot. It was very exciting for me to see him write comics in a way very different from the other comics that he has written or the way that Abe uh, writes his reviews even. So super, I'm super a big fan. That you have until September 29th. Uh, uh, yeah, it's the end of the month, I think, right? Yeah, so I will probably be... Um, shilling for this again i really was stoked about it so want to make it a point to to hype that now i think that's congratulations on both of those i was going to say i think that's the uh, a good place to actually wrap it up because we're yeah. coming up in two hours yes yeah yeah i think so as well uh i have no idea what our schedule's like despite being the guy who mapped it out okay. through the end of the year so here's here's the thing Jeff. oh right we can, we can work this out in in front of the kids, if you will. Yes. <laughs> because we moved to last drug, we yeah. are theoretically doing a drug next week. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Which means, oh, <laughs> hell no, we're not doing that. I, was, I can't I put say, myself through it. Do you yeah. want to? <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, part of me is kind of tempted because I'm like, sure, sure, no, let's push no, through. I can't do no. it, Graham. I can't as, do it. As, as someone who even put it on the Tumblr this week, that I started the next volume being like, maybe it's it's better. No. 
You know, no. it's so funny because you did that. I was like, I'm going to treat myself and read the next Batman Dread crossover. And then I can laugh at Graham. And I, I forgot that what I thought was the 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 Batman Dread crossover was apparently the third Batman Dread crossover. And well, but 100% right? forgot about the second one, the Cam Kennedy but, one. Yeah. But you know the story, right? No. The third one was meant to be the second one, but they were running behind. So Wagner, Grant, and Kennedy came up with an entirely new book to fill a spot in the schedule. It's a fill-in. Oh, God. A, that makes perfect sense. B... As someone who's read it, I think you would agree that. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That that make A, makes a ton of sense in the world, all things considered, and also kind of... um, when you talked about the you know, on Drock talking about the first crossover being an issue of Brave and the Bold, man, that is so true of the second issue, but kind of not in the enjoyable way, and it's yeah, kind no, of it, a shame. It's, it's a it's like a bad Mike W. Barr written. Yeah, written. it kind of is, or kind of one of those things where Bob Haney um, w- was not on his drugs that week, so it's kind of like, oh, geez, man. Don't stop giving lithium to Bob Haney, please. Yeah, that was, oof. Oh, no. That really, that hurt, Graham. It hurt a lot. I don't think it hurt as much as volume 18 of the Complete Case Files could or would. Um, But, ho-ho. Anyway, so yes, next week will not be a drug, which I guess begs the question, I guess it's either a skip week, which seems strange but not impossible, or another wait what? question mark i i i'd love that you actually made it into a question wait what <laughs> uh i think it should be the latter i think we should do another wait what okay i think so i think so it sounds good um we'll probably have read more comics you'll have watched more movies on hbo max will be and who knows maybe the comics uh industry will have exploded once again which you know one can only hope it being 2020 and all. No, 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 no. Let's let's have some peace. I know, right? I really ha- Let, did let's enjoy. Really, just mm-hmm. have have some. Yeah. Some, you know, I, I let's not for real. Let's have some. <laughs> some you know, I I loaded onto the iPad the other day, and I'm looking forward to rereading for for all the wrong reasons. Mm. The tomorrow's book about the uh, DC implosion. Ooh, yeah, right. Because um, I, because it's it's for those who don't know, it's called. Well, let me see what it's actually called. It's called Comic Book Implosion. There mm, you go. There. Uh, it's a great book. It's an oral history of the DC explosion and implosion. Mm. Um, and to be honest, I loaded it on there because I want to read the oral history part of the implosion mm-hmm. and basically see how it maps to to today. Right. To be perfectly honest. Um, it it will probably make a very interesting and sad read, mm. but um, that's yeah, that's something I'm looking forward to reading, and may even talk about it next week if I've had a chance to look through it. Well, that sounds uh, that sounds good. I have to say that sounds and, and also yeah. sad at the same time. Yeah, good and sad. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, if we're if we're going to try and wrap things up, this is when I'm going to say that there's going to be show notes for this episode up on waitwhatpodcast dot com. Uh, there is a Tumblr account, waitwhatpods.tumblr.com. There's an Instagram account that I never use, but one day I'll get back to instagram.com forward slash waitwhatpods. And there's a Twitter account at waitwhatpodcast. Jeff has a Twitter account at lazybastid at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. And I have a Twitter account at Graham M at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. 
And we are a Patreon-supported podcast, which makes Jeff say something a little like this. A little like this, ladies and gentlemen. Hello. Uh, I'm Casey Kasem. I don't, I don't even know if that sounds like Casey you know what's, Kasem. You know what's amazing? Hmm. You don't sound like Casey Kasem, but you do sound like John Suntress, who does the Word Balloon podcast. Do I really? Oh, that's yeah. depressing. I mean, no offense to John Suntress, but I mean, you know. When you when you miss the target, it's like, damn it! Uh, in fact, who did I do an imitation of earlier, and it actually did sound like that person, and I was really shocked. Was it Anthony Hopkins? <laughs> Anthony Hopkins it might have been Anthony Hopkins. Hopkins then. Please, yeah. can you do that? I can, I don't think I can. I no, I really can't because it was a it was a weird it was a weird misfire. Shit. Maybe it was it was somebody else, and I wanted to do Anthony Hopkins because I because Anthony Hopkins in Dracula is just like five pounds of fried ham, and yeah, uh, yep. it's 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 and it's not not as it's not necessarily good, but at a certain point you're like, well, it certainly breaks up the tedium. <laughs> exactly, it's not good, but it is here. Yes, exactly, exactly. So I want to say. Anyway, sorry, Graham. I have to disappoint, especially after I missed. Admittedly, it was an accidental Casey Kasem, which sounds like a Gina Davis movie uh, that should have that perhaps wrongly got an Oscar. Did it get an Oscar? Gina Davis won an Oscar, right? For Did accidental she... tourist. Did she? Did For real? She? I have no idea. I I don't know either. It's not. It's it's not. It's not important, Graham. Sadly, it's really all we are is dust in the wind. So. Uh, we have listeners, and they're great, and they're probably rolling their eyes at me right now, which I think is a sensible, uh, uh, eminently sensible, I would even say, uh, um, decision, reaction. And uh, you guys managed to keep us inspired, and Lord knows one really can't say fight and trim, at least not where I'm concerned. But you keep you keep Graham sleek and on point and me almost tragically comedically off point and we we appreciate that we also appreciate the people on patreon who throw us a little bit of their hard-earned dosh that uh, made things possible like last week's uh well i'm just gonna buy all 10 issues of last of the atlas is what could go wrong and miraculously enough did not so i'm i'm super grateful to you guys um I want to give a big shout out to Dominic L. Franco and Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, to whom we're especially grateful for uh, their continuing support of this podcast, their protection of this celestial realm as this section's cosmic defenders. I also want to say Dominic wrote us a fabulous email where he ranted about Tom Scioli's Fantastic Four Grand Design, which is nice to know that there was someone later to the party than I was because I, just a month or so ago, ranted about the second issue of Fantastic Four uh, Grand Design by Tom Scioli, which is fabulous. Those of you who enjoyed <laughs> uh, Baxter Building, our, our, our 50 episode read through, the first 416 issues of the FF, I think would get a lot out of it. Um, I keep wanting to like uh, throw shade at Graham for being so utterly dismissive when I brought it up a month ago, but you know, it's, you, on you go. Yeah, uh, as as Bobby Brown once uh, sang, uh, it's uh, it's his prerogative. I'm paraphrasing. He really said it's my prerogative, but I can't say that because it's Graham's prerogative, <laughs> not mine. Graham, Lord, yeah, that was 
that went that went places I did not expect. <laughs> uh, yeah, map that, people. That was uh, that's a paragraph. <laughs> Why not? We're going to be back next week with apparently a regular wait. What? Uh, until then, <laughs> I'm just letting Jeff off. Until then, bye. Perfect. <laughs>